Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. I'm Jimmy Beacon, CEO and founder of Ripe Brain Networks. And joining me right now is old friend and, and colleague, uh, Charles slash Carlos Fry. I'm not really sure which name you prefer these days, you know, which, which passport you carry with you, but uh, yeah, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I only carry one passport. It's a U.S. passport. We do a lot of work in Latin America, so my... My online login account all sort of migrated to Carlos. If you want to call me Carlos, fine. If you want to call me Charles, that's fine. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, I am currently the founder and CEO of Codexigos, and we are an international product development company. We're headquartered in Austin, Texas, and in addition to our office in Austin, Texas, we have some of our team and our U.S. team, some of our team is in Albert, and a lot of our team is in Latin America, principally Central America, Honduras specifically, and um, a growing team in Colombia as well. So uh, we do a lot of product development work and happy to be on the call and follow along with uh, the topic that Jay, uh, Jamie teed up here. Look, appreciate it. And Jerry, like perfectly timed. Are you with us? Yep, I, I'm here. Sorry about that. I had some uh, technical difficulty, but I've joined now, so going to be no, here. Perfect. Shut up right in the introductions. I just briefly introduced myself. Charles introduced himself, so uh, stage is all yours. Perfect. Yeah. Um, my name is Jerry Miller. I'm the founder and CEO of Cloudticity, where for the past 12 years, we've helped healthcare organizations um, effectively leverage cloud technology. So um, I've known... Uh, Jamie forever. <laughs> so good, good beer. Cool. Appreciate it. And bringing up the rear, we've got Tom and Joe. I don't know if Joe is in the audience. Maybe he's, he's working door security, but uh, yeah, Tom, you want to introduce yourself a bit? Hello. Yeah. Tom here, uh, software data consultant. And yeah, I'm excited to uh, talk about this topic with Jamie. Cool. Yeah. This is actually, I mean, I've, we've done like a bunch of these, but this is the first one that I've actually hosted. And it was actually my idea because, you know, this whole, I started playing around with chat GPT and I kind of had this existentialist crisis, you know, like, uh oh, I'm in danger. You know, I, I run a consulting company, you know, people pay us for our expertise and our knowledge. And, and now I can pay 20 bucks a month and, you know, ask a, a robot and ask AI practically anything and get kind of the collaborative world's knowledge. So, um, like anything, especially in tech, it's both a challenge and an opportunity. And I just kind of wanted to talk through with um, a couple of very experienced, you know, tech leaders, tech consulting leaders, and just wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts on on how uh, you know, generative AI and you know, specifically large language models are, are affecting affecting the kind of the tech consulting business. And you know, what, what are the, the pluses and, and minuses around that? And uh, you know, Charles, uh, I'll kind of give you the floor and see if you have some initial thoughts. 
I think we probably everybody in the calls had that, you know, existential crisis. I grew up on a farm, so we just called it the oh shit moment. But uh, for sure, I think that it's definitely having an impact and the impact will probably accelerate. And and we're planning for near near term impact in areas that are you know, commodity work, frankly. I've been doing software engineering and technology engineering consulting for a long, long time. And 30 years ago, if you could code in any language, it was sort of like being the high priest of a secret code or a secret you know, language and, that only you and your colleagues could do. As we've matured, we've seen things like frameworks emerge that eliminate a lot of repetitive work. Uh, but, you know, let's face it, if somebody needs to take something simple, you need a mobile app developed. There's just a lot of boilerplate kind of grunt work. And there are a lot of people in the software engineering profession. I'm not saying they shouldn't be in the profession, but they serve, they serve more like tradesmen than they serve. If you think of a construction project, they serve more like tradesmen than they are architects or creators or innovators. And so I, I think the, the most immediate near-term impact is going to be on the lower-skilled production kind of work as opposed to, and, and where we focus our future efforts is to be better and better at the creative, innovative, collaborative components that hopefully are a ways off from being automated, by, as you call them, robots. But things like generating generating a user login page in JavaScript that handles forgotten passwords, that sort of thing. Let's face it, it that's not $200 an hour, let's start from scratch kind of work anymore. So if chat GPT or, you know, Microsoft Copilot or any of those want to automate that, speed that along, so much the better in my book. I'll pause there. Sure. Uh, I can give you the opportunity to speak, Jerry. Um, I'd be interested in, in broadly hearing about your opinions about like in tech consulting, but I, I know you do a lot of work in healthcare. And in, in my experience, healthcare IT is kind of an entirely different animal than the rest of kind of corporate IT and tech. So I'm just wondering if you have any insights on how, how that may be different specifically to your market. Yeah, so we're, we're definitely seeing an impact um, for the past, um, I'd say five years, we're, we're already seeing um, AI take over things like reading x-rays and imaging studies. Um, we're, we're starting to see uh, AI coming better than humans at reading test results. Um, and so, you know, we're super excited about the way that this is going to impact people. Um, there's uh, natural language processing, NLP, that is um, beginning to kind of take over how doctor-patient conversations take place. Um, you, you know, with the innovations around electronic health records and requirement to record everything electronically, it used to be that doctors would have to notate everything. And it, you know, that, that really kind of took away from the doctor-patient experience, you know, doctors their laptop screens open and that was in between the patient and the doctor but 
now that we're getting uh, NLP, we're starting to see a deeper engagement between the physician and the patient with a much deeper degree of engagement um, based on, you know, so, so some of the LLPs. So it's been a, a tremendous improvement in um, doctor-patient relationship in the last maybe four months. Cool. Is that something that uh, Cloudicity is, is directly involved in? Are you guys kind of baking some of that functionality in some of your product offerings? So y y yes and no. Um, it, it's not a product that we offer directly, but we organizations that are developing this technology. Um, and so we're, it, it, I would say, peripherally involved. So after I got kind of over the initial shock of that GPT, like one of the things I wanted to do is I kind of, I sat down and I forced myself to write a complete Python application uh, from scratch. You know, I had played around with kind of uh, scaffolding it and then kind of going in there and actually, you know, sizing it. But I wanted to actually, from scratch, just create it in just generative uh, you know, text generation, all the code. Um, it was an interesting exercise. One of the things that it really, so for example, I needed to do something, uh, two things at once. So obviously I met uh, fit for multi-threading. So I could tell it, say, hey, I need you to make this routine multi-threaded. And it would actually go through and actually do the whole thing. It was kind of cool. But what it made me think is the people that are just coming in to, to see us, kind of early career folks, they're going to know how to actually ask ChatGPT or another AI for, for that specific thing. They don't really have that, that domain expertise or that, that architectural minds, mindset yet because they just haven't had the time in career. So I'm, one of the things I'm wondering is how, how does this dramatically affect people that, that have, are new to CS and just starting their career? And, you know, previous generations, I think, lean pretty heavily on Stack Overflow, but now we've got, you know, this generation coming up is going to have ever, you know, having th the robots or the AI actually write the code for them. How, how does that affect the development of these junior people in, in a lot of them that grow into the senior folks and, and, and so on and so forth? And Charles, have you, have you thought about that? How are you kind of helping kind of your, your younger team members take advantage of this? Yeah, we think about it a lot. It's a great question. And I think a big part of the answer will turn out to be it doesn't matter. It's just an evolution of our, our trade. So when I was listening to your, uh, setup there, Jamie, I was thinking about, you know, you and I are both sort of mechanic nerds as well. I like to work on old cars or old trucks, motorcycles, in my case. And you know, the, the truck I'm in sitting, sitting in right now, I, I can't do anything under the hood except maybe check the fluid levels, make sure the batteries not yeah, not a mess but that doesn't prevent me from driving the truck and enjoying it and everything else i know you have a new truck that's even more technologically advanced um i think is that if we go forward 20 years the answer to your question is there'll there will still be people that have to be uh specialists in the way systems are designed and developed but i don't know if anybody here has ever written in any assembly language, you know, recently, we just don't need to do it anymore. And I don't know if we know how the Python code you wrote, how it actually moves data in and out of different registers or memory locations and that kind of stuff. We just don't have to deal with that anymore. And nobody frets about it. Conceptually, um, in this, I won't divert the conversation, but 
I'm not a big believer in boot camps turning out professional programmers. I think they turn out professional tradesmen, code writers. Um, but you're right. I think you, fundamental engineering, math, physics, all those kind of things still apply. They'll continue to apply. We just won't worry about, you know, bootstrap processes because we don't have to. The operating system just takes care of it. Wishy answer, but we look for we look for good logical thinkers. We look we, we teach the tools that are available of the technologies about and uh, it, it's the other stuff that matters to us. Are you actively encouraging uh, your team members to kind of get smart on these technologies? Oh yeah, yeah, and we. Uh, I, I would mention, I would echo what, what Jerry pointed out is that our, so we, we build products for companies, we're a custom product studio, we're a product studio that builds products for other people. And we have a number of projects right now where we're implementing some level of AI, actual language processing, whole language modeling, blah, 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 into products. So yeah, our, our engineers are working on it. But a lot of a lot of what just one last thing, Jamie, is a lot of what's getting talked about in AI. I've struggled with this for a few years. You know, I was consulting to a high flying AI, quote unquote, AI company in in Austin five or six years ago, and uh, Jamie, you know, they get talking about. And it's what struck me at the time was they weren't really doing, they weren't creating any artificial intelligence. They were just implementing tools that were available. And I think that's that's the state we're in now. There are a lot of tools available that we're learning how to implement. Um, but I wouldn't. When I talk to people who are really, you know, AI researchers and they're building like, you know, all these mo- that's mind blowing to me. But that's not what most of us are doing. We're, we're building with the tool sets that they've developed. I don't know if that makes perfect sense. Kind of curious what, what your kind of thoughts on, on that, Jerry. Like, for, especially for your early career folks. Like how are you get how are you coaching them not to become overly reliant on some of these AI tools and do their thinking for them? You know, I, I think that we kind of really kind of stealing them the opportunity to kind of build some real, you know, experience, kind of grow. I mean, is that is that something that you're struggling with? Uh, no, in fact, we we at Cloudicity we we think that um, becoming reliant on these tools is great. You know, it's um it, you know it. Uh, Microsoft Word ages ago introduced auto spell checking, um, and we, you know we kind of came reliant on that. Um, and so you know it, now now when we write code, um, our tools kind of write it for us. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know we we used to write assembly code, and then we wrote C, and then we moved into higher level languages. Um, and I think this is just. A progression where we have um, enabled technology to make people more pr- productive, um, and so I, I, you know, we're we're, we're not going to be the same low-level programmers that we were like way back in our day, um, but we're going to become more productive, and I think that is not a, a, a bad approach. And I'd just like to add to um, Jamie, like you said, with using it to write Python. Uh, and how Charles mentioned, you know, we used to have to write assembly. The prompting, right, be- using natural language becomes that programming language. 
it's like the next abstraction. So it's it's learning to write with English. So instead of using it to write a Python app, I'm writing the app just by by talking, right? And it's it's doing it in the background. I don't care what Python it's writing or what language. Yes, I'm I'm gonna have to drop. I've got a call that I've got to get onto, and I'm having some audio problems, but um. Cool. I, I appreciate the, the time that you were able to give us, Jerry. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Have a great day. Thanks. You know, Tom, on on the topic that you were just mentioning, I was at a I was at a conference a week or so ago in, in Austin, and they were talking about a a job function I had never heard before, and it I think it was called prompt engineering, and it was literally that like. How do you feed chat GPT or other related models? How do you, how do you query them in an effective way to get the output that you want? And, and they had literally elevated this to the term of prompt engineering. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that again, it's a, it's a good point. And I, I'm sorry, Jerry wasn't able to hear me. I like what he mentioned about Microsoft and spell check and I was, I was going to make the case that Clippy was the first uh, Microsoft AI implementation. So that's kind of an old guy joke. So uh, anybody that doesn't get it, don't worry about Clippy. But, you know, that was, it was really in a lot of ways, it was an early idea about how, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had some magical agent that could supervise what we're doing and, and interrupt us and say, hey, it looks like you're trying to do this. Uh, can I just do it for you? You're trying to create a pivot table whatever the case may be. Now Clippy, you know, died a humiliating death, but I, I think we've been thinking about these productivity hacks for a long time. And uh, I would agree that this is just kind of warp drive on, on, on a lot of those things. So, so Charles, I, I mean, I think we're, we're both kind of the gray beards of this bunch. I mean, the whole promise of like, your CEO is going to be writing code next week. I mean, HyperStack, Visual Basic, probably VisiCalc even before that. I mean, that's been kind of the promise of this stuff for, for 30, 40 years. You, do you think we're actually kind of approaching something where that's, that's going to be viable? Yeah, it was viable. It was viable with HyperCard. I mean, Apple pitched that in late 80s. HyperCard was going to be so phenomenal. And it's just kind of the, the no-code, low-code, no-code argument. Well, but it really comes down to a division of labor. CEO really want to be writing a bill address book application probably not at the end of the day he or she's got more valuable things to do with their time um if they happen to be a ceo like you and they want to spend their weekend writing a python application then then great you know that there's more accessibility to that but is it a killer threat to the industry of software engineering no i don't think it is but it's definitely going to reshape the landscape like i said i i don't think and in our case, our, our Latin America office, you're right, Jake, is predominantly, you know, entry-level engineers, UX, UI designers, whatever. Um, and if they don't progress past mastering the fundamental skills into providing real value-added services like creative thinking and innovation, breakthroughs, then they really just become, and this is true anywhere in the world, they're just, they're tradesmen. There's nothing dishonorable about being a tradesman and whether you're hanging drywall or framing a house or anything else. But if you're writing code, that skill is going to be in less demand because we now have, we have other ways to get that tradesman-like work accomplished uh, with all the benefits that people in the physical manufacturing 
saw 20, 25 years ago when, when manufacturing automation, uh, you know, kind of jumped up to the next level where suddenly, wow, you know, I could run a, at a, a colleague of mine that has, of all basic businesses, they make flour. They, they bring in train loads, literally train loads of raw wheat and the train dumps the wheat on one side of the factory and it mills it out into commercial sized bags of milled flour. He now runs one of their flour mills with three people on site. Uh, and, you know, a generation ago, it had 200 people that worked at that, that place. So I think we're just seeing those kind of, uh, we're seeing the early stages of that in the commodity level business, especially. Uh, you and I've talked for years, Jamie, about the monitoring data centers, incident response, and those kind of things. If you look at that, there's there's a lot of commodity labor that goes into that that can be automated, and you could argue that it'd be automated more efficiently and more effectively than relying on, you know, the quote-unquote night watchman to make sure that, uh, you know, a red light went off. Yeah, it, that kind of... And it makes me think of a challenge that I'm currently dealing with with right brain. It's as we can abstract ourselves away from the hands on keyboard work, like that, that makes it difficult to know how to bill for your services. You know, I, I mean, it, like it wouldn't make sense. You know, I think you had joked one time, I was like, you know, when I'm interviewing programmers, one of the things I'm not concerned about is how fast they can type because that's an indicative of, of the value of, of the code that they output. So if we abstract that, you know, another step away, how do we actually do billable hours? How do we do utilization when, when we have our army of, you know, simple-minded interns that have been, you know, or essentially that's what chat GPT is doing the workforce. How do we employ our own army of robots, but still actually bill for, for the, the, the thought and the experience that kind of goes into that. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, we, we, at right brain for the past about month or two, we've been kind of rethinking. How we actually measure time how, how do we actually allocate time to different engineers and and just some of the fundamental stuff utilization which has been the measure of productivity for consulting companies for 50 some years it kind of it's breaking right now as i kind of look forward to the future and so i mean from a consulting company perspective that's been one of the challenges i think that this this new wave is bringing me are, are you kind of going through similar processes no in uh in a simple answer because we don't we don't index our work to uh, hours worked. It's certainly, it's certainly a formula and we continue to, you know, because it, we estimate it, like how much is it going to take to get you the result you want? So, but those estimates for us are internal. We don't charge by the hour, we charge by project outcome. Yeah. And I think that you're right that if you, I'm trying to think of an analogy that's not in our space, but like, financial statements, you know, there are the accounting in all of our businesses. We all have businesses that have an accounting requirement. And, you know, if I'm getting accurate financial reports and bills are getting paid, businesses are getting collected, I'm not really worried about how many hours it takes the team to get that done unless I have to plan capacity and they can give me some, some rationale about why they don't have enough people or they have. So I think that the the dollar per hour mentality, probably in our industry, we consider to be a creative industry. In my opinion, it can't die soon enough because it's a it's a leftover of the industrial revolution where we 
we created factories and we put people in the factory as though they were a component piece of the machinery. And so we needed, you know, Bob the machinist to be there for eight hours because that's how we had done all the planning of the, he was an integral cog in the machine. Uh, I think if we go back to the mobile app, or the Python app that you wrote, we think that people will continue to pay for the value they get out of that. How you communicate that, how you negotiate it, and how you track it, and all that good deal, you know, is going to continue to be a challenge. But we face it from an internal standpoint of just productivity, or people being as productive as possible, and uh, this helps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a similar mentality. That, you know, what the challenge always is is with the customer. Um, it's kind of rare these days, but we still occasionally deal with a customer that wants to see timesheets. You know, people clocking in and clocking out. I mean, my lawyer bills me in six minute increments. And thankfully we're at that granular with our billing or our customers don't expect this. But, you know, I'm trying, trying to get away from that and, and looking more to kind of staff people on a fractional, fractional basis, like a number of fractional engineer, number of FTEs that you have in, in a given month or, or for the duration of a given contract. Because I think that I think maps more directly to the value that 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 you know well-experienced engineers kind of bring into a particular project, but that can be somewhat of a tough sale from time to time. I would I would maybe I want to bend the trajectory a little bit and give Thompson. I mean, it looks like he's got some brilliant thing to say there. You know, ChatGPT doesn't give you the right answer. It gives you the most common it gives you the synthesis of the most common most written about responses to the questions that you pose so it can be completely correct in its response and utterly useless for the answer that you're trying to get to there is no innovation or insight that comes from it so if you want to ask questions that are commonly asked for example, can what's the agenda for a quarterly business review? Something we just did. Produce a sample agenda for a QBR. And it it's really fast to generate that boilerplate because millions of people have written about QBR agendas. They're in the corpus in the database, blah, 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 GPT works, chat GPT works, and it spits out an agenda. But it wasn't the exact agenda we wanted to use. It was a great starting point, but the team needed to look at it and amend it and edit it. And it saved all of the starting from scratch kind of stuff. And I think that that's maybe a simple example of how I think it's a productivity hack, but it's not the answer to these questions. It can get you to first base maybe, but it's not going to, I don't think it's going to produce the home run. And by the way, some of our team has, submitted reports to me that I'm like, you didn't write this. I mean, you, this, you did not write this. I know that you didn't write this. And they're like, oh yeah, you're, I also saw this demonstration, sorry, but I saw this demonstration a week or so ago here in Austin. You know, ChatGPT has a lot of factual errors. And it, in this case, I know Jerry's not on, but in medicine and science, you know, its knowledge base is totality of the internet which let's face it is maybe not the most reliable knowledge base to view, you know, citable facts on. So I think it's a good starting point, but I, I think you still need to be able to add value to it. Uh, Tom, I'll, I'm going to cede the floor to you, buddy. 
Yeah, no. It, uh, so I'm intrigued when you say commodities. Uh, what do you mean by that, and what you what you work with? Because that's kind of what I see is, you know, what's replacing right. When I hear commodities, is more race to the bottom uh, of you know how much it costs, and then Jamie's asking, you know, what's like the the pricing of of an engineer versus uh, delivery. So I'm intrigued by what you know when you say commodities and what you deal with and in the development space what what does that mean yeah it's a good question uh, what i'm what i'm trying to say about commoditized or what i keep referring to on this conversation in this conversation about tradesman work is but we have to, we have to accept the fact that a lot of the work that we do now in technology is work that's been done in technology for 10 or 20 years and isn't particularly new or not. It doesn't take a genius to write that JavaScript login page. It takes someone who's competent and someone who has basic skills to write it. But to present a page on a website with a username and password and compare it to a database of accepted usernames, that's not that's not new or anything. It's just work that needs to be done. It's like when the architect hands me the design for my new house, the innovation is in the architect's conceptualization and translation of my desires, all that other sort of stuff. But somebody's going to have to frame the house. Somebody's going to have to dig the footer. I want them to do it well, but there's not anything particularly novel about pouring the foundation or putting in the framing. Again, I need it done well, but it doesn't generate value often beyond the labor that was required to, to frame the house. And I think we have the So the work in our world that we see this being most useful in is to eliminate the grunt work and free people up to focus on more of the innovative pieces of what they want to do. Like, for example, does this application really need that? A username and password login screen. Is this the best place in the user flow for this? Could we come up with another way that the app would magically know who you were, so you didn't have to mess with the user. Those are more valuable time that you can't go out and necessarily ask Chat GPT, "Hey, invent a novel way to log into this application that doesn't require the user to follow the standard pattern." You may you may not get that in, a, in AI model, at least right now. At least the class we're talking about. Does that help at all? Yeah, so that does that come off right in your product offering, right? You're you're not offering commoditized work. You're offering that that value, that insight that you couldn't get from uh, with ChatGPT. Yeah, I mean it's still early. Uh, it's still early to say that we've seen any specific change in pricing, for example, with Jamie was talking. But generally and philosophically, my answer is yes, because if we if we can take an equal budget and spend more time working on the novelty and innovations that are possible and less time doing the grunt work, everybody wins, right? And I, and I, I don't think that the CEO says, oh, I want to do it myself because I can, I can pay 20 bucks a month to chat APT. I'll give you an example with one of our clients right now where we're implementing AI functionality to parse and catalog resumes. Resumes are an interesting data problem because everyone has a resume or a CV, but it's all 
unstructured data, you know, no two look alike. And so for years, we all hire people and, you know, our recruiting team and HR teams get in resumes and they read through them. And there's a lot of inference that we provide. We have a project that we're working on where all the bulk of that gets automated uh, down through to the search. And uh, I, I won't take up time talking about what we're implementing there, but the team is spending most of their time sorting out the novelty and the invention, if you will, about how to make this work and very little time worried about the crud work of, of just doing, you know, scaffolding of the application. Client's going to spend the same budget money, but they're not going to spend it on on my, you know, example of the hated login page, it's just work that has to get done. And it's not about how fast the, the programmer can type it. It's just boilerplate code that has been done and done to perfection. So something like Microsoft Copilot skates right through that. It's done. It's done well. It's done against a standardized database. And we go on to more important things. Does that help or hurt? Tom? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it helps. Thank you. So I think we only had like 30 minutes scheduled and we got kind of a late start due to uh, jurisdictional issues, but I think we're probably at the point we need to kind of wrap this up. Uh, you know, I, Charles, I, th- I think you and I could probably riff on this for the rest of the day, but uh, I think people are going to need to get some work done. So we'll, we'll probably have to call it to a close. Um, really appreciate you being here. Uh, I, I know as, as always, you're you know, busy with the travel you got going on, um, but you know, Every conversation I've ever had with you, I, I, I get something insightful out of it. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that with kind of our broader audience as well. Oh, and, well, thank you. Uh, and Tom, you know, thanks for, for joining. I think you've been on every one of these, right? Yeah. Yeah. I might have missed a couple in the beginning, but yeah, it's, it's a yeah, lot of fun. I, I learn a lot too every time. I mean, I appreciate the consistency, man. Yeah. And, and the help and, and everybody else that's uh, supporting this community as well. But so... Thanks, everybody. Uh, I guess our, our next episode, uh, kind of coincidentally, we're going to be talking about public speaking and kind of how to conquer that. Uh, you know, a pretty common topic for engineers that want to kind of find a way to kind of increase their influence in an organization or kind of build their career. Uh, public speaking uh, can be somewhat of a challenge for, for us introverts. So looking forward to that one. Um, as always, we'll have some expert guests and some interactive conversation. So uh, please join us in. Thank you. Thank you. See you, everyone.